Would you like a lullaby? Yes. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Nach Karnik, and with me near the Dalitian planet, rapidly losing shields, are Emily Bowen Marler and Rudika Baker. Strange New Takes is a Star Trek themed pod that's supposed to be covering strange new worlds, but with so much new Trek already, we just decided we should jump on in now. Well, not just now, like we started this, you know, what? in the spring, summer, who knows? I have no idea. It's 2020. Time is meaningless. Um, But we're super excited to bring you our strange new take for the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, Sue Call. But before we get there, we want to encourage you to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And while time is meaningless, friends are not. So (laughs) do tell your friends about us. It's important to have friends and periods like 2020 so um, do tell them about us we also love getting strange new listeners Um, your recommendations are actually the best way uh, to introduce new people to our podcast and um, a good way to introduce them to our podcast is by bumping us up in the rating ranks on itunes by giving us a five-star rating it will help us appear higher um, and when people want a new star trek podcast to listen to they will be able to spot us and just as a heads up, this podcast, literally all of our podcasts, and basically anything that we do just in life, conversations that we have, they include spoilers for Sukal and, you know, other Star Trek episodes. We've tried very hard not to spoil this latest season of The Mandalorian, but mostly because there are some of our co-hosts who haven't watched it. So there was something I was going to say related to The Mandalorian in reference to Sukal today, but I had to remove it from the notes because I wasn't sure. And I don't want to spoil... <coughs> the people because it's just that good okay it's that good the season of the matter is just that good anyway it is i agree back to the script that i was reading off of so if you haven't had a chance to to watch sakal and don't want to feel spoiled uh feel free to hold off on this episode until you get the chance to watch it and then come back but if you don't care sure you can listen to this podcast episode before you watch the star trek discovery episode if you do that you should write to us and tell us why explain yourselves okay Anyway, let us now move on to talking about the 11th episode of Season 3 of Discovery, uh, as previously stated, titled Sukal, written by Anne Caffell Saunders. It was directed by Norma Bailey. It happened on N-University 3189, and the summary from Memory Alpha goes thus. 
Discovery ventures to the Verubin Nebula where Burnham, Saru and Culber make a shocking realization about the origin of the burn as the rest of the crew faces an unexpected threat. Side note, this episode was originally titled The Citadel, then it got changed to Sakal. I don't know when that change occurred, but just something I noticed. All right. Your strange new takes. Go. Well, hmm. My strange new take is that I have nothing going on in my brain at the moment, so I can't come up with one for <laughs> real life. So That's a strange you know, new take. Although, you know, I will nothing. say my strange new take when you said we need friends in 2020. I was like, you guys are like my friends because I don't really do Aww. much with friends. So I'm glad that I have this on Sunday. Virtual so hug. there's my strange new take. <laughs> um, and my strange new take for the episode... I actually, I, I thought when I saw Asira was going to be in this episode, I was like, but it wasn't so bad having Asira <laughs> back. I kind of was thinking as the episode was going on, I was like, yeah, this is kind of playing out like a lot of those really epic Star Trek two-parters or, you know, so it kind of had that feeling. So I forgave it for having Osira. All right. And my strange new take is, if any of you, I'm sure a lot of you have seen The Expanse, but you have, if you haven't, I oh, haven't I started the new season yet, but yeah. I really like it. Um, the new season is very much like the early seasons of Expanse that I liked. It kind of lost its way in between, became too intangible for me, but I think The Expanse just sets new... Um, similar to The Mandalorian, sets new uh, bars for what um, sci-fi for me uh, is, really good sci-fi for me is uh, going forward. And this episode, um, I love the the high school lunch table um, dissing contest between Asira and Tilly, or locker hall area dissing contest. They were at it with the insults, and I wondered if... You know, it's going to be a fight, but uh, yeah, I like that. All right. My strange new take is that buying the book, physical book, when you listen to a lot of audiobooks, is something that more people should do, which kind of defeats the purpose, I guess. But I decided this winter to go back and look at uh, used versions of all these awesome autobiographies I've been listening to. And I have like a whole shelf of them now. It feels great. But, okay, on this episode, I did not realize I could enjoy an episode this much while being absolutely livid at the writers. Um, and I I didn't, I, I really, I, I wanted to get out of this, come to this podcast and be like, this episode sucks, I hate it, I want to throw it in the garbage bin. And instead, as a credit sold, I was sitting there being like, this is amazing, I can't wait for the next episode. <laughs> why, why can't you just make an episode that I can hate? Uh, straightforward and just like have a single opinion instead of having to be like I have all these feelings uh, about the writing but I still enjoyed the episode and so anyway as you could tell I have some thoughts um, you should uh, you you should use the multi the Adam multi rating system uh, when you write this (laughs) (laughs) I, I when I go back and I tally those like ratings at whenever whichever point we do, I have enough work ahead of me to like do his multi ratings and 
collate them down to a single number so i'm not gonna add to my own problems <laughs> tell you that much do some deep learning on all that <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's jump into in-depth episode discussion and starting with story and writing something interesting that i don't remember too many if any star trek episodes doing is a non-two-parter starting where the previous episode ended. Like, literally, it is the same scene, and we're mm. just continuing it. Because the last episode ended on that farewell party for Giorgio, and we just kick back right off with where it, where it uh, ended. Yeah, it was interesting. Because I, I don't think it's happened before. Well, and it didn't... It, it felt kind of strange, too. I was trying to figure out, like, what what was the thing they were trying to pull out of that scene that we didn't get the last time? And, I mean, the only thing I could come up with was Adira. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. It felt weird. I thought it was kind of strange. So we had two two plots in this episode, the A plot and B plot, linked pretty heavily, of course. We had the A plot, which was the away mission. And we had the B plot, which was the weight of the emerald chain uh, wrapping itself around Discovery. And... Which is funny because space, there's no real weight. There's mass, but like and and momentum, but no weight. So, uh, uh, it's like uh, a gravitational well, like a oh, black hole. Thank you, thank you. I knew you'd, you'd come through for me there. Um, okay, let's talk about the A plot, and I want to start us off with something in the beginning of the episode. Where first of all, Discovery goes straight to the nebula. They don't like stop. They don't plan they don't think at that party they they find out something about or maybe after the party they find out something about the, there being the the life sign on the ship because they start communicating with it and they're like let's just go we're not we're not even gonna like think about this which was i don't know if y'all caught that but i thought that was a little impulsive um maybe that fits with the things we're going to talk about with saru though mm. Yeah. And Burnham, then, then you know, they make that attempt. They fail. And then they get some data, I think, from Book's attempt to, to get closer. And they find out, oh, the planet has, like, a bunch of dilithium around it. And Burnham looks off in the distance as the camera pans on her face and says, I think we may just have found the source of the burn. Oh, Really? Wow, I did not see that coming. This is why Burnham is the chief science officer. I bet nobody <laughs> on the bridge was even thinking about the burn until that minute He's when she was like, <gasps> boom, everyone. I mean, they must have had a lot of cleaning with all the heads that exploded when she said that. <laughs> and this is again. Weren't, mm, sorry, weren't they there because that was supposed to be the source of the burn in the first place? So... I saw, it was definitely one of those moments of over explaining to the audience. We didn't need that. Like we know that's, that's why they're going to the nebula. And this is, this is, I think something that I'm starting to ju it just grates on me. And I don't know why it is. Maybe it's just because they're expecting people to come to Star Trek episodes without having watched the previous one, which is fair. Mm -hmm. If you're airing your episodes on TV in 1994, but now where you have to, like, subscribe to a service to get access, you're probably going to watch them sequentially. I mean, there are still some, I think, 
uh, television channels across the world that probably pick these up. But I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think the the, the viewers need that. Again, we had this thing where um, Saru and Culber later in the episode, they, they're doing something in the, in the Hollow program and say, this program must be set up to protect the child. Oh, what? I'm su- I was surprised the chief science officer didn't come up with something that insightful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so this is what happens at the start so of this episode. They- and it gets me very angry, uh, combined with some other stuff that I'm about to talk about. Please, Rudy, let you can interrupt my ranting. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say, like, maybe the beginning, uh, the beginning bit where Burnham is like, "Oh, this is um, the source of the burn is for people who have started um, the season midway." But the bit about, um, "Oh, these are the people who you know." raised the kid are those for people who joined the episode midway it makes no sense right um so actually when i was i was watching i was watching the first i don't know it's it's a, it's a good first 20 minutes or so right with all this sort of the plot development i did think of you a lot notch i was like you know he, you went through a couple of episodes where you really you know burned um, the Navarra episode and then you made your peace with it and I was like I really don't know which way he's gonna swing here because I I, I got affected I got affected the same way and I don't think I I pulled out victorious in the end as much as you did like you know the episode making sense for me but um well one good thing for me was Culber finally got to go on a away mission. Yes, right? he's he's always in people's ears, but he got to go. But again, there was some weird stuff there. So when Book goes first, like he teleports, was it safe to just send him by himself? Like he's piloting this whole ship by himself, going all the way. And shouldn't Burnham have gone with him? But then of later course, on, Burnham she does. should have gone with him. <laughs> if she would have gone, then they would have solved the problem. Universe saved. <laughs> Immediately, <laughs> no episode left. <laughs> Writers were like, "Crap, Burnham's here. She has to fix everything," which I promised you. Last episode, I was over, so that would be totally appropriate. I would not have a problem with it if it happened. Mm. So there. Okay. The, the good thing that I felt is, I mean, I actually like the B plot better than the A plot. The good thing for me is, I'll, I'll admit, I'll be honest, I never really had confidence. And we can go into this in character development, but I never really had confidence in in the decision process in picking Tilly as as a first officer. So when they kind of put her in that, you know, mm-hmm. hey, the ship is yours, and then Burnham has this, you know, quick conversation on motivating her. I was just thinking, if I was one of the crew, not not the people who were in that room who were like, yeah, you deserve it when she was deciding, right? But just generally one of those eighty people. Um, I, I would be kind of nervous for the way it kind of spun around in the end. That was, that was good to see. Um, so that was somewhat the saving grace for me. I'm going to um, hold hold off on that discussion because I want to go back to the A-plot in a second. But I, mm. I do want to touch on something that you just mentioned, which is, again, something that speaks a little bit to the way this episode was created. Because I think more so than even most episodes, every single thing that happened in this episode had a purpose that played out later in uh, even if sometimes it wasn't I, I think the hooks weren't as strong pulling the previous scene into the future for example you mentioned Burnham saying goodbye to Tilly and giving that advice every single member of the away mission to save Saru got a goodbye scene Burnham got two 
And my issue with that, in some senses, was just like, they're away missions. They do them all the time. Like, why are all these tearful goodbyes happening? It's your job. You join Starfleet. This is what you do. Go on the away mission. However, that's just my cold, you know, frozen heart speaking. If I get away from that for a second, we did have Culber and Stamets' scene where combined with the scene in the mess hall, it's essentially creating the motivation for a Adira to do what they do late in this episode, mm. right? Because we, we see in the early scene where Adira tells Grey, like, you have me, you have them, and points to Samus and Culber. And then later, when Samus and Culber are talking about Culber's choice to go, as Stam... At the very beginning of the scene, you see Adira and Grey in the background behind a console. At the very end, when as Culber leaves, the camera focuses on Adira, who then turns mm -hmm. to Stamets. So the idea is that, oh, hey, Adira has picked up on this. I do think the writers could have done a better job through the season. Like, if it had been Stamets on the planet, I would have understood this motivation a whole heck of a lot more than if it was Culber, which who we haven't put in as many scenes with Adira really becoming, like, you know, super close. Like, it just... I, I knew what the writers were doing. I didn't get there myself, but it's enough where I'm like, okay, it's good enough. But could it have been that did, didn't Stamets say something about them being a package deal or, or something right. to, right. you know, so yes. he said something like that to Adira. And, um, and also Adira is, is reeling from the experiences that they're having with blue or with blue with that's the sorry with ian blue is is adira anyway okay right. with um with uh gray right. and uh so so they're reeling from like not knowing where gray went and now gray's back and what does that mean mm. and also knows that stamets you know feels a special connection with adira because he's had that loss of his love and then not knowing and anyway, so I I think there's some of that um going on with Adira as to why why they're so willing to, you know, take the step to go save okay. the day or not maybe not save the day, but you know, like like they're going to help. But Yeah, yeah. No, I, I buy it. I had not put that together, and now that hearing you say that makes it make more sense for me, which is great. And mm -hmm. I think so so we have those early scenes because of we were establishing this connection. And we were establishing that Saru is compromised, which Bill <laughs> last week had talked about how we all riot if they make Saru a bad captain. And I don't think I have been more enraged by Star Trek. You know, even the episode Threshold didn't contain a line like, I'm not sure he can be objective, how he'll handle it if he has to make a hard call. A painful one. One that costs him. But that's what it means to be a captain. I guess this is why Burnham's the chief captain officer on Star Trek Discovery. These kind of insights. I just wanted... I, I literally wrote a string of profanities in my notes because it made me so mad that Burnham was lecturing about what a captain should do and how Saru wasn't adequate. And, and making object... And whether or not Saru could be objective. I'm like... Michael's never been able to be objective and has yeah. always made decisions <laughs> based on impulse and always tried to drive people to what her end goal was. And yeah, I mean, it was just like I, I, I wrote it down in the character development, but I was like, 
uh, I can't remember what it was that I said, but I just was, I'm like, oh, that's rich, Michael. That's really rich. Like, I just. It's so obvious. Maybe it's, it's sarcasm. I don't know. I, I caught that too. It, 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 I don't think it's sarcasm. <laughs> Um, nice it's try, almost like book, went... book just like points at her. Ah, God, yeah. Oh, poke, poke, poke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's almost like Bill went in there and wrote that that piece in, right? Like, Saru is compromised. Because, I mean, I was trying to find signs of him acting compromised, right? If you take away everything that we know on the inside, I, I, he was he was astute. He, there was no weakness that he portrayed. Um, but yeah, it, I totally caught that contradiction. There so, was absolutely nothing about what Saru was doing that should have been called out when they hadn't been calling out those same things with Michael. Like, it's just... Or maybe they kind of called it out a little bit, but, I mean, there was just... Like, we've seen it done... We've seen Michael do it so many more times, so much worse. It was just ridiculous. It's like... Well, I was going to say it's like uh, mansplaining, but in reverse. <laughs> it's kind of what it felt like. It's Kelpian-splaining. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but and this is, this is again, I think this... If any other character on this ship had said it, if Book had said it to Burnham even, I would have been a little less angry. I would still have been angry because I don't like what they're doing to Saru, but... And I would have been a little less angry. And it just comes across as a lack of self-awareness. And I hope that maybe there's some sort of, like, purpose that they have for Burnham being the person who says this. And But along with what Giorgio has said in the last episode, with this now, and the way that the, the Burnham and Saru had that discussion before they decide who leaves, all of that just points to the fact that we're coming to some sort of thing with Saru's ability to captain. And I guess, Mike, I have a fundamental question, which is, do y'all buy the fact, because this show is definitely pushing the whole Saru is compromised thing. Like he has that, you know, awkward thing where he doesn't tell Vance about the Kiet initially. And then he like kind of massages the truth a little bit, talking to Vance about his own feelings. Um, Saru does, when he's speaking, that he doesn't have strong feelings to the Kelpians. He doesn't reveal that to Vance. Do you all buy this thing that the show is pushing, that Saru is compromised? I, I mean, I, just, I don't buy it anymore. Like, if they're trying to show that Saru is compromised so that Michael can be the captain, I just think that's not fair. Like, it's it's just really not fair. And what it, feel, what it felt like today in the episode, I watched the episode today, um, what it felt like when I was watching the episode today was... Michael had, it sounded like Giorgio planted the seed in Michael's head. Like, Michael, you really should be the captain. And so no, Michael, Michael's like, oh, gosh, maybe Saru is compromised. Maybe I should be captain after all. And then it felt like at the end of the episode, when um, she convinces Saru to stay, almost, and I don't, I mean, they're not going to do this, because obviously they're not going to turn Michael Burnham into, like, the villain who's going to, like, steal command or anything like that god if they did oh well anyway they're not gonna do that oh. Oh, please don't do that but um uh it just felt like almost like michael's like oh this is my chance i can get on there and save the day and show that i'm actually really the one who should be captain i don't know i hope not again i think i i know we some of us and a lot of us all of us had problems with um, the writers of the previous season introducing things quickly and 
in a rush that made no sense. I, I think this is, again, even though they sowed the seeds an episode or two before, it's, again, a new plot direction or um, something that's rushed. And there's already so much happening in this show. It, it, I don't think it, it it's required, um, e- even if they were able to do it the right way, right? So mm-hmm. um, it, it just feels, again, it feels rushed. It feels um, illogical, like we caught a few things that did not need to be said. And I think this show, this season, had something that may not have been done before in Star Trek um, outside of LDS, which is, you know, much more um, comic, in building a captain, right? Building Mm -hmm. a captain from the ground up. Um, And they were doing it right. I think that's one of the strongest appeals for this show to me or this, this, you know, this particular series, or at least this season. And and now they're taking it away, um, which which bothers me. Yeah, I think I mean, and, and I think that if they had taken the time to really explore Saru's feelings towards the uh, Kelpians some more this season, I know there was some of that last season. I think I would understand this whole compromise thing a little bit better, but I don't think they've established it because you know you have that one quick band to him when he's talking to Vance very early on where he's like, oh yeah, and Kaminar joined the Federation. What? Kaminar joined the Federation? Like You have little things like that. But I just don't think that they focused enough. And this might be, again, one of those things where, you know, if they had 20 episodes, maybe they could have fleshed it out a little bit more. But um, I, I think we needed more time to understand why Saru is feeling all these difficult feelings that that, you know, push away his better instincts as captain. Yeah, this also makes me think, though, of when they discovered that, uh, is it was it Barzan, that it was right. a Barzan family that was on the seed ship, um, that of course Nan should go, right? Like, like of course she should go and, and be a part of that away mission. So why is that not how people are treating this with right. Saru? Like, if there are Kelpians involved, of course Saru's going to go. And wouldn't everyone want Saru to go be a part of that? So that's the thing that feels a little strange. Like, yeah. if it was anyone else, it would be total understanding and like, well, yes, let's go and nurture this because we want people to be able to just like, holy hell, how many times have we done things because Michael wanted to find her mom? Or, you know, like, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, and so I, I okay. Well, what I'm hearing is no, we don't buy the Sidhu's compromise, which is kind of sad because we need that to be the case, or <laughs> to, to really understand where what is happening in his motivations. But anyway, we'll 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 move on um, to talking a little bit about the ship and the hollow program that they end up on, which is we'll call it the Citadel because that was the episode was named after. I'm guessing that that was at least partially a reference to the hollow programs <laughs> Citadel. And I, I wanted to take a second to ask y'all what y'all thought, what y'all think Sakal's mindset and worldview are like. He's been on this ship for 120 some years, Right. Uh, he was born, He, based on what Burnham asked him, he was born before the burn and remembers, or at least might remember something of the quote-unquote outside. And it's been 125 years in this program that his mom made for him with all these inanimate programs that train. So where do you all think Skull is as a person right now, like in, in terms of their mind? Well, he showed himself to be 
extremely brittle and fragile emotionally right when 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 pushed so there's definitely um a childlike nature to him as it, and as as burnham calls out you know this is the first time he may be seeing people that he kn- or, or creatures that he knows are not programs and so they should treat it as a first contact situation which i think was you know, made sense um but at the same time he's been getting the benefit of um uh, teachers and trainers um for a century so i i mean they have to set it up in a way that something clicks and a 5 minute plot piece or a sequence or a dialogue with siru just makes him snap out and become the person he needs to to not cause the burn and maybe even help not cause another burn and maybe even help rescue um the hijacked um uh, discovery right so um he definitely is childlike uh but i guess a a hundred years of upbringing with the right minds means that there's maturity hidden that just needs to be um uh, unchained i mean he's definitely resistant to any notion that something could be different than the life he's experienced like yeah. whenever there's any hint that there's some outside force now being introduced like he does not want that <clears throat> and so. i think i think this is one of the key reasons is because he's had no change in his life right like mm-hmm. no people have come in and out in his memory like sure his mom left and all the people he knew left but like that was way back before his memories were fully formed so his life has been this productive circle and even with the slow decline of the program um it may have happened so slowly that he could acclimate to it as a very slow change rather than saying to the sudden like whatever um effect of having three new people in there which is why he gets so excited about discovering a new program so i think that that's an interesting thing to consider is that he's unable to handle he doesn't know what to do when things don't go in a very expected way all he knows is if i do x y and z a b c will happen and um he wants to live a very predictable existence so uh i, I it's an interesting character uh slight spoiler alert but in, i watched the ready room it's extremely interesting in in what they say about the kelpians which i'll get to in a second but um they asked dog jones or will we ask dog jones like can you tell us anything about the future episodes and Doug Jones obviously didn't want to spoil anything major but he said that Seru and Sakal have some sort of relationship coming up and i mean obviously right and so it's it's going to be interesting to see like you were saying Rudy if that takes just 5 minutes or if it's like a two episode arc or <laughs> what how that happens i thought one of the best things that was written into this episode was Seru connecting with kelpian culture like that whole sequence with the elder the lullaby i thought that was that was the the like stuff that made this episode and the reason that even though i've spent the last 20 minutes ranting about the writing i enjoyed it so much cuz it was so immersive it overcame everything that had that i didn't like just being in this like visually compelling world and then having this like lore aspect to it with siru and the kelpians and even a little bit with those admiral p type people um talking to siru and kalber and of course dog jones without makeup what that was amazing 
That was the Does best thing. Does he have thing. the kindest face you've ever seen? Like, oh yeah. There's something about him. I just like, oh, he looks like he must be the kindest human. I don't know. You, you should listen to his cameos that he records on that website cameo where you can pay actors to do stuff. He has one, I think, that's mm-hmm. charitable, charity based, so he doesn't get the mm-hmm. money. It, it goes to charity. And he recorded one for the Star Trek subreddit that someone had, com- had commissioned that I listened to. And it's incredible. He is the nicest guy in the mm-hmm. world. He's yeah. amazing. Um, but I, I, I shrieked when I heard he was there. That hair that he's wearing is a wig because his hair head is completely shaved for his Kelpian costume. He also <laughs> um, talked about how he was recruited to speak to Bill Irwin, who's also a major pantomime actor and uh, who does um, kind of similar roles to Doug Jones. So he was recruited to speak to Bill Irwin to convince him to be a Kelpian. The guy who plays the Kelpian Elder is the same guy who played Saru's dad in the um, uh, Karen for oh. Obol, I think it was, or yeah. something like that. That that episode where they showed the Kaminar in detail. Um, so, th- basically, Saru created the Kelpian aesthetic, the way they walk and all this stuff. And he's been training these other actors about how to play Kelpians. And as a human, Saru, Doug Jones decided to kind of be like a half Kelpian in his movement. So he doesn't sway his hands quite as much, but a little bit. But you'd also see like when Sukal runs away, Bill Irvin is doing those same movements yeah. that Doug Jones did. So yeah. it was just incredible. It was just incredible uh, stuff. Um, I thought the Sukal, the Bill Irvin's treatment of Sukal was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Did y'all did y'all consider why? Each of them was chosen to be a particular race, or was that just randomized? I mean, I I think it was. Uh, if if you had to ask me, the whole reason that that whole thing even happened is so they could put Doug Jones on screen without his prosthetics, which <laughs> I fully endorse. Yeah. Like if there was like some sort of like anti Tuvix episode where we get Saru like cloned and made human, I would. I don't care how stupid and unbelievable that is. I would take it just so that we can have Doug Jones without his prosthetics. Well, I I said to Travis when I, I said I love it when Star Trek finds ways to show us the actors who are under such heavy prosthetics their actual faces, so they get the yeah. opportunity to just act without having all that. Oh yeah, whatever. I, I love that DS Nine episode, right? Where <clears throat> yeah, um, it's, it's where Cisco is the sci-fi writer in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just staring at all the faces continuously. Yes, yeah. yes, far beyond the stars. Great. Episode. We should we should recap that episode at some point. It's got some rebel yeah. moments uh, these yeah. days. Yeah. But hey, let's that uh, one in past tense. Oh gosh. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Sorry. Let's, <laughs> let, let's let's get back to to moving through our story and writing. Um, I think anything more you'll want to talk about the A plot and uh, the away mission in terms of writing and story. Well, there was that funny phrase in between right at the end. Don't, uh, don't, don't do what just happened before, or we may have another burn. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's almost like we had a, a Kelpian baby burp burn. I don't know what that was, but it's, <laughs> so he just freaked out and. So, yeah, let, let's talk about that, right? Because it's basically what was suggested is that Sakal getting afraid of the kelp monster and freaking out and screaming caused the burn. So 
what do y'all feel about what you know so far? Obviously, we're going to have to talk about this in way more detail once we actually figure out what happened, but... It, you know, I... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, no, I had a moment in the episode when Michael first encounters the... the was it the kelp monster or whatever? I thought that might have actually been the child. Mm. And that the... You know, because, I mean, obviously, if he's been exposed to that much radiation... That's going to affect the way he develops. So I actually am surprised that he looks totally Kelpian and normal, um, having been exposed. So I just I don't know because and just the way when Michael was like kind of following the Kelp monster, I just I just thought I I I think that might be the child, and somehow the Kelpian that they're following is a projection or part of the program or something. And so I still don't know. If I'm not convinced that that mm. is not the case, just it just I don't know. It's possible. It just there's I, just there's got to be more going on than just having an emotional outburst and that causes the burn. I mean, it's it's almost like that monster is a manifestation of fears and 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 anxieties. I actually thought that was um, Sukal as well, and then when they showed him together, I was like, maybe that's Doctor Isa in some kind of like. You know, mm. Barzan phased out situation where <laughs> that's how she's persisted. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, there was a lot of unknowns uh, that I that I had a couple in the plot B as well. I had some Vance doubts, but we can get to that later. <laughs> I mean, I, my my reaction is very much like they better have a really good way to make this make sense. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I think another thing that I want to give a quick shout out to is you know you talked about unknowns we don't know yet why this planet is full of dilithium and why that dilithium is intact right uh despite the burn Mm -hmm. we don't know how sakal has survived despite the radiation we don't know what the kiet looks like physically um we we know that it exists but is it some kind of ship that is slowly crumbling does it have corridors like we don't know anything about it all we've seen Mm -hmm. is this uh, holodeck basically so there are some things that we need to grapple with is the was the nebula always uh this dangerous like there there's a bunch of explanations that need to happen about about that whole situation that the kieth is in let's uh let's keep talking about the the b plot real quick because um we're already getting a little bit long in the episode which was the emerald chain versus discovery uh Rudy, you talked about how Tilly being chosen as the first officer was something that you are definitely grappling with. I, I'm here to tell you that you're not the only one in this planet who has those thoughts. Because I think one of the things that a lot of reaction on Twitter, on Reddit, just taking a peek at social media while this episode, just you know, on this episode, there were a lot of people who was like, ugh. Tilly screwed it up like let Discovery get taken over of course the Ensign being in charge messed up like how dare she be in charge Saru made a mistake blah 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 I am here I have a hand gesture for them anyway go ahead right uh, I, I I will convert your hand gesture into words uh, and, and essentially say they're wrong uh, there are very good reasons that Tilly was in charge and I don't think anything that happened was Tilly's fault and I, I have I have a bunch of reasons that I can go into, but I wanted to get your reactions first about um, Tilly Apologia, basically. Like, wh- what could we say about Tilly? Like, being in charge of what wasn't her fault. Tilly was amazing. Like, I mean, just absolutely amazing. Because I was like, how is she going to handle this? And I just thought the way she handled it was perfect. And 
she was scared out of her mind, but that didn't control her, you know, and it was just really, it was just awesome to see. And you could see that, um, her, you know, fellow shipmates on the bridge were like, yeah, that's right. Tilly's kicking ass right now. You know, Mm -hmm. like she, you know, anyway, I just, I thought it was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're trying to do something really great here, right? They're taking a stereotype um, that we may all identify, and I'm sure this has been talked about before, but we may all identify with in, in the real world and, and showing that people can ascend to positions of, of you know, mm-hmm. command and not just command, but command through thought leadership, right? You can lead by authority because you just have the rank or you lead by thought leadership. So, and that's not that's not easy to do, right? Like if... If we would take one of us and, you know, bounce us up four or five levels in whatever organizations we work in and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be easy to operate at that level. Um, so I think I think that is an extremely important and noble thing to do. Um I I didn't like how book on the side was like continuously like, What are you gonna do, Captain? What are you gonna do next? Like it's almost like a cue. Um but but I think she held her own. She held held her own in terms of um, you know tactical, um, well not combat, but ho- holding her own with that other ship and the mm-hmm. cloaking and the decloaking. Yeah. Um. Let, let's see where it goes, right? Like it 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 did make me feel nervous before, mm-hmm. and I guess I I feel bad about feeling nervous, but I still want to say it's a natural feeling, um, and you know this kind of turned it around for me i have a question for y'all back though what do y'all think about she was like i am not gonna leave this chair until you kill me that that seemed a little immature to me right a captain in control would be like okay what am i thinking next what's my next strategy thinking 10 moves ahead right okay i, I see the chair now I think Rudy um, kind of dropped, but since we record, oh, there you go, he's back. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, and he and he has stopped speaking, so there might be a slight pause in our recording <laughs> previous to this. But let, let me let me talk to that, which is that I think you're right in that she's not the perfect captain, and I think there was a sense that the only language Asira understands is strength, and so she was trying to put that out there of course she got up out of the chair without being killed so she didn't like see it to the bitter end and like you know rush at a sailor like drag her out and get shot like it it was it was guff and i think this this actually gets to why i think dilly didn't do anything wrong because all she had was guff the emerald chain was significantly stronger than her ship we've seen that in the previous battle that they needed this like this one little trick will help you defeat the emerald chain they needed something like that and they didn't have it this time um and discovery couldn't leave because the away team was on the planet you can't just like abandon your away team some people are like they should have gone back to starfleet and got their shields recharged and then beam back you gotta be there to like study the situation you can't just leave three people on a planet that like has massive amounts of radiation you don't know they don't know what they're finding down there they've lost their comms even so and picard wouldn't have left the planet and they would have been leveling those same criticisms at him so (laughs) yeah exactly i mean that that is one of the other things which starfleet captain hasn't lost their ship at some point to somebody like i mean come on at least it wasn't Mm -hmm. like uh who was that kazan guy 
uh, <laughs> uh, I just I was just reading the like summary of that episode even, but I can't remember. Anyway, at least it wasn't the Kazon. Okay, it's like Osira. But um, now the other thing is there are some people who are like, why didn't she go away to um, the the while Kola. she was cloaked? Huh? Maj Kala. Maj Kala. That's right. Kala. That's right. Uh, the Kazan guy. But they asked, like, why didn't she, like, leave when she was cloaked? And the, the thing is, both the ships were cloaked. You can't, like, start moving around because, A, you might have some emissions that give off where you are. And the other cloaked ship might bump into you. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> these are massive vessels. Like, you can't, you know, you can't do that sort of thing. So... I don't know. I think Talid did made the best of the situation she was in. She really held her own in that conversation with Asaira on the screen. And I think you're absolutely right, Emily, which is that, like, this wouldn't... Put this same conversation into Commander Data's hands, and you wouldn't have any of these criticisms. Nope. And it's nope. it's bullshit. So, yeah. um... But but anyway, I, I, will, I will back Talid up 100%, and we're definitely getting the point where she, uh basically gets gets to to get redeemed i guess in terms of mm-hmm. the chair oh they've been showing that i think ever since ever since saru appointed her in that position we she has had little moments where right. she has shown exactly why he put her in that position how cool would it be if in the fourth season of discovery tilly's in charge of a starship with book as the exo hmm because initially when they showed her sitting in the chair and Book was off at where Burnham usually stands, I was like, Book's the XO. Please, please make this happen. And it just, it, I think they'd have like a nice, you know, dynamic going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah. But uh, anyway. Hey, let's let's take a break over here. We shall return with maybe a little bit more discussion on B-plot and other stuff. Any sign of Osira? Nothing. How did she even find us? If she wants your spore drive, she's probably been tracking it. You mean scanning for our jump signature? She'd have gotten a read on it back at Quajon. Why didn't she fire on us? It's not like her, but whatever she's got planned, I'm guessing she'll need us whole to make it work. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about the B-plot of Sakal. We're talking about the emerald chain wrapping itself around Star Trek, or not Star Trek, USS Discovery. <laughs> well, really both at this point, right? Yeah. Um, we had to bring a sire in, right? Like we we knew that they were gonna, the writers were gonna make yeah. this about uh, the the emerald chain in some way. Um, and Emily, you you have in the past expressed your disinterest in a sire. Mm-hmm. Was there anything redeemable about her character here? Well, it wasn't redeemable. It was just it, the whole episode. I mean, I'll talk about this probably in the rating. It felt so Star Trek. To mm-hmm. me, like it just felt like, oh, the, like, and the, the, actually, there have been several episodes over the past few weeks that have felt that way, and I've enjoyed that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, I like that feeling, like they're you know exploring strange new worlds and seeking out new life and new civilizations. That that feeling has been very much present the past few episodes, and um, the way they used Osira in this one, um, it just it felt more like that oh you know like the times when Maj Kola takes over the ship or or Dukat takes over the station again or you know it kind of felt like that kind of classic Star Trek you know here's a villain coming in and taking over and it just the way they did it I didn't find myself rolling my eyes and sighing that they had brought her back there's some stuff in 
the ready room that Janet Kidder says about her character that I'm kind of curious to see if y'all pick up on in future episodes. I'm not going to tell you mm-hmm. what it is because I want to see if y'all if y'all get it. And I think mm-hmm. specifically in the past, Emily, when you've spoken to about Osira, I feel like it addresses some of that. So I'm kind of okay, curious if, if you pick up on it without being told what it is. Because there have well, been s- sometimes things that happen in the ready room that someone's like, this is how I see my character. And then that never shows up in the actual series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I do I, I do wonder, because there have been a couple of moments with Vance mm-hmm. where we've kind of wavered on whether or not we think he is as good as we hope. Um, and so I, and if that's the case, it has some doubt being shed on the Federation, which can change the way the Emerald chain is seen mm-hmm. in some ways, although they're still really murderous. And so that's kind <laughs> of, you know, when you're really murdery like that, I, I don't really know how fully redeemable you are. But they, they need a, they need a trip to Carl. So Carl can judge their conscience. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's talk about uh, expansion of the world of Trek in this episode, where we we found out that the Kelpians have elders and they have beards that grow out of their chins. Hey, very convenient, good for them. The lullaby was introduced to us uh, as as a Kelpian concept. So it turns out other species also put their babies asleep with. Uh, I I hope one day they introduce a species that's like to put our children to sleep. We scream at them at the top of our lungs. <laughs> And that's what happens. <laughs> Our planet is a hellscape at night. Okay. Anyway, we had the kelp monster, which I thought was very, very cool visual um, fairy yeah. tale come to life. Uh, someone on this episode uh, on Reddit described this episode as a combination between the thaw and um, is it future imperfect? The episode where Janeway loses the Enterprise or Voyager to Marshkala. Oh, I can't remember what the name of the episode is. No, Future Imperfect is the one where Riker wakes up and is in, like, the future that's been created by the... uh, With Minuet as his wife. Right, the Romulans or the Cardassians, I forget now. Mm -hmm. but The Romulans. The Romulans, right. Uh, But anyway, it's the Thaw episode with with Janeway where she confronts this character that's in, in the mind, fear. Uh, and, and I, I had strong vibes of that with the Kelpian monster, mm. the Kelp monster. But, uh, okay. Other stuff we find out the name Sakal after you have suffered a great tragedy, the next child is named Sakal reminds me of after your favorite character suffered a great injustice. The next podcast episode is named so angry. Um, <laughs> so angry. Anyway. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Tough, very tough. Crowd. What can I do? Uh, there was something else that's the next point. I didn't put it there, so I'm going to ask whoever in, put it in there well, to... I just didn't know that they were called dots, the little things that go and fix the ships and stuff. Ah, that's what I didn't they're called? Know... Uh-huh, and the only reason I know is because I watch everything with subtitles because we can't have the volume up too loud because of the toddler. But, um, but yeah, so I was like, oh, that's what they call those little robot things because they said something, it's nothing that dots can't fix or something about uh, bookship. It's we know we have known this through the short track Ephraim and and dot. dot. So I just didn't. But, you know, it just didn't get all connected. So, mm. yeah, no, I'd completely forgotten about that. Yeah. It's just that you mentioned it. So I was like, has this happened before? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. little connections. It's just there, fun. There you go. Hey, cloaking. 
What? <laughs> yeah. Discovering a cloak. Nobody mentioned this, but they were like, and we've given you like split nacelles and all this other stuff. Oh, and uh, after the camera stopped recording there and cloaking. Well, it's also interesting. It seems like cloaking has the same effect that it did back in the 24th century. Like, you know, you can't do anything. No firing while cloaked. I mean, unless you make like a special Klingon bird of prey that can fire while cloaked. But, um, you know, but anyway, I just thought that because it's like, so they cloak, so does that mean nothing's going to happen? And so, you know, I don't know. You can still talk to each other while cloaked, I guess. Uh, that's, that's, that's true. That's, that's another true. thing. I Didn't actually that. hoped that cloaking bit would go on a little longer, you know, almost like submarine warfare, but they ended that like in five minutes. Two they didn't pinch. do anything with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, it turns out the weight of the emerald chain is actually mind control headgear. So it's not really, I don't know if it was very heavy on Stamets' head, but it was there. So <laughs> Diamond studded. Right, exactly. They were like, how do we make this a diadem? Let's do that. Okay, anyway. The, the mess hall now has an image of the USS Clark on it. Uh, kind of like a line diagram sort of thing, which was a ship that was destroyed at the Battle of the Binary Stars. So kind of neat little background effect to show that the crew is still grieving somewhat. And we saw some new Star Trek uniforms in the Kaminar induction ceremony. We've not seen these before. Red um, uh, shoulder pads, I would imagine these would be different for every uh, group uh, with or, or, or division within Starfleet. And the guy is wearing the same badge that Senatal wore in Forget Me Not, the episode where Adira meets their previous hosts. So there's some continuity of time bet- or, or, like between those two characters. So Kaminar wasn't in the Federation like ages and ages ago. The other thing is, there's a there's two other Starfleet officers that we see in Forget Me Not. One is wearing a Picard era uni- uh, badge. And there's another officer who's wearing some sort of gray outfit that doesn't look like any other uniforms that I remember seeing so far, including the ones that we saw in this episode. And that person wearing this funny uniform has a badge that looks a hell of a lot like Admiral Vance's badge, but it isn't. And I zoomed in many times. And we've seen this uniform and badge combination once. So I'm just going to give kudos to the prop masters for designing all these various Federation badges when you go 700 years in the future or 900 years in the future, whatever it is. You have to think about these things. So anyway, it's pretty cool. And uh, finally, we see two new aliens in that same Kaminar ceremony. One is like a a Saurian, but not quite. Maybe it's just a different, like, subspecies of sorry and then there's an alien with tentacles and uh, kind of like fuma shoe type attachments to their face and it's kind of like is this a reference to pirates of the caribbean like <laughs> i don't know anyway uh did y'all have uh, memorable moments in this episode that y'all think back to uh, with uh, after watching i mean I, I mentioned mine where they're like hey that thing that y'all just did don't do it again there's another burn so (laughs) um that that stuck with me um the weird um tentacle like thing which is coming out and grabbing discovery yeah Um, no tractor beams anymore um you're gonna go physical with mechanical arms well and i think it was somehow it made it so that all of discovery systems were integrated into osiris ship system so that osiris ship uh right 
sport, what, whatever. I forgot. Jumped. They call it jumping. I can't remember. I just right, lost right. my my brain fell out of my head. Black alert. Anyway, yeah. Also, quickly before I forget, this is another expansion of World of Trek. Y'all might have noticed what looked like a green alert when the ship was cloaked. Everything around the the bridge was green. Mm. Oh. So that happened. Um, Saru singing that lullaby was to to Sakal was just I that was that was Star Trek to me. I was like, this is what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Um, that was unbelievable and. So many great visuals just in this episode. Um, Sonico Martin-Green's performance when Sokal is trying to, like, reset her program, basically. Yes. Ah, it was it was really good. And um, it was I was very I, I was very impressed by it. just that whole how she adapted to uh, ba- basically she was like, oh, yeah, first contact. So she did what she needed to, though, as though it was a first mm-hmm. contact situation. Yeah, yeah. it's great. One quick bit of trivia before we move on to character development. Tilly states that her granny Adele exists. And Captain Picard had an aunt Adele who gained fame for her home remedies, if you all remember, in TNG. And this aunt Adele was actually named after someone in the crew. uh, Adele Simmons, who was Star Trek assistant director. And so I, I don't know if this is again a reference to the same person or what what it might be, but it would be nice if it was, right? The yeah. Adele connection. <clears throat> Maybe just someone's a huge fan of Adele, but anyway. <laughs> okay, character development. Uh, Osire, we've talked about quite a bit so far, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But there are two things I want to note. Number one, Janet Kidder says that her entire head is a prosthetic, and showed pictures in the ready room about that. So wow. It's uh, it's because Bill Beaton was like, oh, yeah, you just get painted green, right? And she's like, nope, that's a prosthetic that I'm wearing. It takes four hours for them to put it on. So it's kind of. It's- we definitely I felt like we got a better view of her skin and and all of that in this episode more yeah. than we did in previous. And uh, her kind of body language in that final scene was also so impressive where she just gets on mm-hmm. and like her puts her feet on the captain's chair it's kind of like oh yeah i'm in charge now it's nothing mm-hmm. you can do it's like total boss uh that's not bossiness because that means something different hmm i have come i don't know what the adjective is here casual domination there you go casual domination. large and in charge there you go um <laughs> so that was, I mean, especially when we when we'd seen Tilly kind of like just like clinging to the chair and being kind of almost stiff, you know, in control, but still, like you could see that it was uh, her body language is not relaxed. So it's kind of that was that was a great um, contradiction there. We've also talked quite a bit about Tilly. Anything to add? No, she's just awesome. I love Tilly. Hundred percent. I I will again just attest to the how just how much development that character has seen this season in particular and it's incredible mm-hmm. i love it mm-hmm. i really love it um adida got their main i think not main but their first kind of major plot movement that their actions alone have created it's not like their side character and some other character's plot this is a deer doing something and i wanted to recognize that yeah it, it's it's been a while, right? The last couple of episodes, they've, they've been in the background. Um, so I guess the next episode, even going back to Tilly, is big for all these characters, right? Um, 
So I'm going to... Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean no, to no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I'm going to have to watch this part especially again because I... There was just something about the way they... You know, when they were asking Janet... Janet. I always want to say Janet Reno. <laughs> Jet Reno. When they're asking Jet. <laughs> it would be pretty funny if Jet Re- Janet Reno was on this disco. Yeah. <laughs> when they're asking when they're asking Jet Reno for her badge so that they can go, you know, basically mm-hmm. I think so they could uh transport onto bookship. But I, I also started to wonder if there's I mean, so yes, they're doing it. I I wasn't thinking about the fact that they were doing it because they are trying to help Stamets and Colbert, right? But um, I also wondered if there's something more that they know about the planet because they've been studying so much of the diagnostic and and, uh, data that's been coming back from the Kelpian ship and all Mm -hmm. this. So I'm just wondering if there's something else that they know about that we're going to find out. And hopefully we'll see them on the planet the next episode and we'll get a little more information there, but I just was curious what, you know, what else do they maybe know? Yep. And all those, those memories from all those different lives that they have. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. connecting all of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I hope we get some seriously intense stuff that uh, happens with, with the Dieter's contribution to that away mission. I, w- I would really love to see some of those, like, just like you're saying, the previous hosts inside mm-hmm. start to play some active role rather than just being a deer is perfect at all this stuff because of all that information. Anyway, uh, Gray's back. And I had a question on, maybe we've answered this before, or there's material online. Is this normal behavior for drill past memories? No. Having a consciousness and yeah. The closest, the closest that we would see, and I can't remember if she did some sort of ritual to make this happen, but was when Esri Dax um, calls forth, is it Duran Dax, the the one who was murdered someone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that she can basically get into the mindset of this person who is, um, essentially executing people on the station, you know, like they have mm-hmm. a special sniper uh, rifle anyway, right? Yeah. That yeah, like yeah, can, yeah. Uh, or whatever, transport bullets into the, um, people's quarters. But that, so that was one time where we saw another, a previous troll host, occupying space at least in in the way that Esri was experiencing it so that's the only other time I can think of but there was something that Grace said that made me wonder if what that Grace said something about being disconnected or being like it almost felt like like when Adira doesn't see Gray they don't feel that connection with Gray and they should always feel that connection mm-hmm. with Gray I would think because Gray was also tall so that's i found that interesting i just thought oh there's something more happening but i don't know what that is didn't gray mention that um only adira could see gray and and nobody else so that's why they felt lonely and uh, and that's where the package deal response came right like you 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 don't just right yeah. I I think that that's that's what I got, but I think Emily's point is is a very something I hadn't considered, which is that that means that Gray has independent thoughts, which is like, is there a part of Adira's brain that is like working on the DL? 
allowing gray to have consciousness like it's Mm -hmm. again this is one of those unknowns that we need to explore in some more detail Mm -hmm. it seems like we're going to get to because if adira is featured heavily gray is going to be there too so Mm -hmm. on that away mission so we'll see what happens um we kind of odd to have a star trek character who has an imaginary friend essentially for like several (laughs) seasons you know if they don't make gray into some sort of like either like there's some sort of catharsis where gray goes away or becomes corporeal again so mm-hmm. anyway quick question before we end on gray that that um ethereal music did that happen in this episode the battle star music i didn't hear it but i wondered if it was the lullaby but i don't know see anybody question. talking about that I don't think it was the lullaby. The one thing I noticed about the lullaby was just how they've made the Kelpian language incorporate sounds that are not in lots of mm. um, Earth languages, which I thought was cool. It might be in some, but I just thought it, you could tell there were there were some some different effects that they used to, or different sounds that they introduced. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, the, the the just just the the it, it was it was a very beautiful kind of language. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well mm-hmm. didn't sound very harsh which i i think Mm-mm. is in good well in keeping with the kelpian kind of existence so pre-vahara at least <laughs> but mm-hmm. anyway uh we have talked about burnham to a certain extent but did we see anything about burnham that we want to discuss in development uh specifically she does feel yeah. responsible um, for the failure of losing discovery right at the end, she mentions that explicitly. Um, did she say I failed or am I just thinking that? Um, that's something like that. It's like something we're some- too late or right. Right. Something mm. like that. Uh, they're, they're, they're just in time. Or we to didn't see make them it in time. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. Cause they can't like go, whatever however many months over to starfleet headquarters whether they do that or they're like well fuck it let's just go back to the planet and try to help as we can well book did say that um osira must have used a transwarp conduit that people mm-hmm. would have been crazy to have used so that must I, I assume that's how they're gonna get back there but yeah there's no other you know there's no history of burnham doing crazy things so we're, we're all yeah. right like that's not yeah. an option that they would take no, because she's totally objective. And exactly, she's, yeah. You know, she doesn't let anything cloud her judgment ever. If, if there's painful choices to be made, Michael Burnham's the one we right, want. she's the one. Yeah, okay. That's right. All right. Uh, okay, we've discussed the Rue at length, so let's not uh, belabor the topic there. Um, anything that you want to say on Stamets and Culber? I just thought it was kind of funny. Not funny, but... How many times has Stamets done things that are dangerous or been a part of things that are dangerous and Colbert's not necessarily trying to talk him out of it? So yeah. I just thought, I mean, I understand that, you know, Colbert died. And so that's why that's partly why that was happening. But I was just like, come on, like you said earlier, Notch, you're in Starfleet. You're going to be asked to do things that are difficult and potentially life threatening. And so that's just the way it goes. And, you know, we have to do hard things sometimes. I wonder if Burnham... Um, meets uh, Stamets before Culburn says, hey, Culburn told me not to come back if it's uh, not within the same day. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. But now that got that got erased by Adira. The radiation. So this this is why I thought that Adira must know something else because Adira put the radiation pills in their mouth. Mm -hmm. And um and that was not something that Saru, Michael, and Culber ever thought to do because um you know, they just didn't have their supplies anymore and they had no idea where they went. So why would Adira know that they needed to put them in their mouth? So Yeah, it's kinda interesting. Maybe it was just like a preemptive dosing. Um to like I don't know. We, I guess we'll find out, right? Let's see let's see uh mm-hmm. with whether the next episode addresses that. That's a really good catch. I, I wanna give a shout out to again Culber being and not again finally being present on a away mission and again yes. being somebody who's a great judge of character and what to do next and kind of being somebody who's it's just great when Culber's in the scene mm-hmm. i think tilly and Culber have been two of the characters that have had the most kind of growth and and stepping into their purpose or their mm-hmm. I, I you know anyway that's just been exciting to see this season Hundred percent, hundred percent. I hope we get some cool book stuff in the next episode as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed seeing what book did in this episode. I think I could have used a little bit more of book in the whole Emerald Chain fight, but uh, it's okay. We got a good one anyway. So, hey, let's let's move on with that to talking about strange new ratings. Uh, we've got the spreadsheet open. Who wants to stick their neck out and give this episode a rating? I can go. Um. I was thinking about this question throughout the episode and I did go up and down and I think I settled at a 7.5 radiation pills <laughs> out, out of 10. Um, a lot of the, the initial contradictions and, and holds um, did make it hard for me, but uh, again, this episode sets up so much for the next one or two. Um, it, it did end well. There was the, the whole Tilly uh, being a, a tactical captain bit that, that uh, uh, was redeeming for me. And um, yeah, just curious to know what happens in both plots. So 7.5. I think I'm going to give this a 4 out of 5. Um, maybe a 4. Or maybe slightly over. I don't know. I mean, it's so hard for me. I don't want to give it too much over because of Osira, just on principle. Um, She's going to be in every we, episode after this, and you're going to have to wait them down well, accordingly. But, but see, here's the thing. But Osira is what helped Tilly shine. So mm. I kind of feel like we wouldn't have gotten Tilly being so awesome without her foil, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Yeah. I might even go like a four plus, you know, but I just thought, I don't know. And it it, it all, but the really, I just loved how Star Trek it felt. Like there were so many um, pieces in it that I just thought, oh, like that warm blanket of Star Trek that I want to wrap myself in. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight out of 10, despite how angry it made me. And this (laughs) is, I, I honestly probably would have given this like a nine or 9.5 if those anger inducing burnham quotes weren't in there about (laughs) Saru being compromised. Like that's how much it pissed me off. Everything else in this episode was really great. I enjoyed it. Um, I even (laughs) had a flashback to lower decks with those backlit, like grabby, you know, like, pincer arms Mm -hmm. 
uh, with with Osira, which of course, if you think about it, it was supposed to be reversed because Lower Decks mm-hmm. was made after Discovery, so it's kind of, the reference is reversed. But um, I, I I bought it all, and I am very nervous about next week about what happens when Osira turns up at Starfleet, like in the fleets at Kaminar. Like, is are they gonna? Is Osira going to take over? Is she going to destroy the cloaking field? Like, what's going to happen? I'm so nervous and sad. And, like, I haven't felt this way about a cliffhanger. I feel like in the entire um, streaming, like, binge-watching era, I don't think I've I've felt this, like, this nervous about a cliffhanger. So I think, well done, writers. Well done on this one thing. (laughs) So good for you. Okay. Well, anyway, um, with that... I want to thank Emily and Rudy for being here today. Thanks, Notch. No problem. And thank you, Bill, Adam, Dinah, and Max, wherever you all are. I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as we did. Thanks, listener, for being there as well. We always appreciate you listening to our episode. And uh, thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. He's got a podcast called Geek Fruit that you can listen to if you so choose. And then finally, I just want to thank... Starfleet Pirates of the Caribbean tentacle dude who was at the Kaminar ceremony. The Kelpians are like, whoa, this guy looks nautical. We've seen him in the tapes from uh, from Earth. So, you know, we feel more comfortable about this already. And we know that because we joined the Federation, you know, nothing bad is ever going to happen. We're, we're going to be great members of the Federation. So thank you, Pirates of the Caribbean Starfleet guy. All right. Goodbye, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> Bye.